Hello and welcome to 52, which is what happens when you mix a game of chance with some of the most interesting names in sport. It's also what happens when I find a company crazy enough to sponsor such an idea. 52, brought to you by Grosvenor Casinos, the UK's leading operator with 52 venues nationwide, online at grosvenorcasinos.com and you can download the app as well. So, one pack of cards, a random question in each of them and the direction of the next half an hour will be determined by which five are chosen. We know it's an incredible journey, so let's get on with it as I introduce my guest in 52 seconds. An electrician by trade, the man sitting opposite me, carried out his business, rewiring many a house. As a footballer, he was wired a little bit differently than most. He never really thought he'd go all the way. He played for Wheelstone and he rejected offers to leave that normal life behind. But when he finally did, he went to Coventry. He quickly established himself as one of England's most celebrated left-backs in history, although he'll tell you he didn't have much talent at all. A move to Nottingham first saw him find his home, and he would stay there. The roar of Psycho would swell up on Saturday afternoons at 5-3, and he'd become a legend at the city ground. And it was during his time, under the guidance of the great Brian Clough, that he gained almost all his England caps. He stayed in the game beyond playing, and his love of football is matched only by his love of music. He's seen the Stranglers over 300 times, and twice with me, and he's been the scariest person in a crowd of punk rockers many a time. On 52, it's Stuart Pearce. Hello, my friend. How are you? Okay. It's about right? Yeah, good stuff. That's you, about right. You weren't offended by the talent line? Because you told me that. No, that's uh, absolutely spot on. A right. trier rather than a talented individual. Do you know how to shuffle cards? No, not as well as you. I've seen you do it. Right, I know. Uh, yet nobody's been on yet that knows how to do this. Right, and considering how much uh, footballers love a gamble. Yeah, it's a good point. <laughs> right, first card then. Anyone that you want, my friend. I'm looking forward to this with you. Lovely job. I'll try not to disappoint. The seven of clubs. Do you need me to read? Yeah. Who's the greatest manager or coach you've ever worked <laughs> right. with? Now, that no. is such a tricky one. It really is. <laughs> Yeah. I almost want to start again. Uh. <laughs> yeah, but wait, hey, you picked that out at random. Exactly. Because, of course, if I, if I was going to pick a card out that was an easy one for you, th- this would be it. But let me just not allow you to have to go down a road that you don't want to go down. You tell me the real Brian Clough, not the story that makes everyone laugh. Tell me the real Brian Clough. Uh, an individual that was very kind. It's all the one-liners, the put-downs that people would wheel out, and, and often I do when I go and have a chat after dinner, that type of thing. But the acts of kindness, when things aren't going well for you, he would keep you in a team when your form wasn't good for, for certain individuals within our team. We would be driving down the M1 on the bus, and he'd see a broken-down lorry on the hard shoulder, tell our coach driver to pull over and take a tray of sandwiches down the hard shoulder to a lorry driver who's got his head under the bonnet, offer him a sandwich, ask him, is there anything I can do for you? Before the lorry driver took a salmon sandwich or whatever we had and walked back, got on the coach and off we'd drive again for the lorry driver to be scratching his head and saying, that was Brian Clough. (laughs) All of those type of things. That's probably the stuff you don't hear about with Cloughy. That's society that was so high up the list, community society equality, I think of Shankly, I think of Busby, mm. I think of Clough. I think maybe that's what makes Clough quite special because I think he has that in him. Mm. I think he has that that is important. Like his statement when the football started, if any manager had a right to go, we, we can't stop the season because Liverpool are going to win the league. You can't cancel it. He was the first. I don't care about the league. I don't care about trophies. 
I care about everyone looking out for each other. They're men and human beings. All the people you've talked about, they're men and human beings before they ever are sports people at the top of their tree. Probably what grows them as individuals is partly the reason they've got to the top of the tree because they care about those around them. Mm. Was it, you told me a story about Brian Clough driving his car to the side of a Sunday league pitch. No. Is that you? So, so it was freezing and there was a woman watching her kid play football and he was like, do you want my coat or whatever? And he probably was only wearing a green jumper. Um, and she was like, no thanks. And he went, okay. And he went, he drove his car over the grass and parked it in the edge and said... There you go, I'll leave the engine run and get in. That's what he would do. <laughs> that type of thing is what he would do. We played away at Millwall, got to tell you this story. We played about Millwall when Millwall just got promoted to the top division, the first division as it was in those days. And there was all this fear factor about going to Millwall. So to combat that, he pulled the coach over in New Cross, which was about a mile away from the ground, and made all the players walk straight to Millwall in as much to say to put a statement down of, yeah. look, you don't intimidate us in any way, shape or form. How did you enjoy that? I absolutely shit myself. <laughs> if I'm being quite honest with you. It's uh, did not you an the, experience did you... I'd want to repeat. <laughs> did you win the game? I think we drew 2-2. Right, because um, Don Revy did this at Leeds. Mm. The coach broke down in the way the game, or away game, and he said, right, we're going to walk the ground because I, I need to be there on time. They walked the 15 minutes, they got dogs abuse, but they won the game. And he then, through superstition, made them park 15 minutes away from every game until they lost away. And I don't know how many it was, it was eight or nine, or it probably grows in folklore, yeah. 15 games. Yeah. But I think it was about seven, eight, eight or nine. Mm. And they hated him for it. But then, of course, they weren't going to chuck a game. No, exactly. Yeah. Listen, these are unique people that we've had in our profession. I don't know whether there's not enough of them now or there's just too much media attention that they never get chance to grow as people. I don't know. Let me just ask you a subsidiary to that, and I'm not allowed to go too far off it, so it'll have to be a fairly short answer. If that had said, who's the second greatest manager? Uh, a fellow called Alan Batsford. He was my manager at Wildstone when I turned pro. Before he come to join us, there was one of our players in our squad. He was going to come and, and start on Tuesday night. And uh, he used to be the Wimbledon manager that took him into the league. And Walton and Hersham worked with Harry Bassett, used to be his manager. And his fear factor come before him. Absolute nutter, they said. You know, he'd have us training as non-league players four nights a week and playing <laughs> on Saturday. And he'd come through the door. And I remember we trained a couple of months. And I was a young up-and-coming young kid amongst a lot of experienced pros. And he collared me one day and said, Oi, get out your pram. And I remember the words like they were yesterday. It was grow up. You yeah. know what I mean? He was absolutely spot on. He'd done as much for me as probably many managers. He's passed away now, went to his funeral some time back. And his influence on me was massive. He sold me into the league, obviously, gave me that opportunity. And I was successful. We won trophies at Wildstone as well. Yeah. So he's a great man to be around. You know what a riffle is? You play cards at the back of many coaches. So just say stop. Stop. Queen of clubs so that means you're on for a flush at the moment beautiful if you just need a pair or more and a thousand pound from Grosvenor Casinos goes to the Cares Trust wow what has been the single best moment of your entire now the next word is important right life Nef that hasn't come out yet Stuart and I think that is yeah arguably the most intensely personal question in the deck yeah the natural answer for me would be being picked 
to play for England and captain in England. But if you leave that aside, I would say my daughters represented Great Britain at equestrianism. And yes. to actually see my daughter ride with British colours um, would probably be... I would have to say that because sometimes you get a little bit selfish being a sports person and it's all about you and the concentrate and all of those things to get a really close family member to actually represent Britain and to see what it means to her to represent Britain as well. What's she doing? Is she show jumping? Is she doing dressage? Yeah, free day eventing. Right, three day eventing, which is actually a lot more dangerous than people think. All right? It's one of the most dangerous sports you can do. Right, so what do you go through as a father that is more intense than stepping up the ticket penalty against Spain, stepping up the ticket penalty against Germany? Um, I think when you put your life at risk to do anything, the ante goes up that little bit more. You know, for me, it's you either score or you miss, you win or you lose. It's not, hang on, a crush injury could paralyse you for life scenario if you're riding at badminton or wherever Mm. you might be, Burley, wherever. I think there'd be a few footballers that may agree to differ with you in terms of who you played against, in terms of putting your life at risk. Uh, I think a few of them... No, I put their life at risk, not mine. (laughs) That was the beauty of it. I absolutely love that answer. I want to stick with that. Um, Were you more nervous walking out to play for England or more nervous when you had those big moments watching your daughter? I think watching my daughter, to be fair, cause that's out of your hands. It's like football management. You're always going to be more nervous than you are when you step over the line as an individual that actually is hands-on. As soon as you're hands-on, it goes. The nerves go. When you're a manager, whether you're watching an outside person, a family member, you've got no influence on that. You yeah. you can't affect it. What a great answer. Stuart Pierce's single best moment of his entire life was watching his daughter represent Great Britain. That edged out Stuart Pearce playing for England as himself. I love that. And now, after two random questions, it's time for the stack deck. Okay, just before we read this out, we're sponsored by Grosvenor Casinos. 52 outlets, the most in the UK, in their business. And it's grosvenorcasinos.com and you can download the app. Look, don't take this the wrong way, but probably remember my hardest 52 because I know more about you than anyone else. So I can go through these cards and go answer, answer, answer. Yeah. I was going to ask you your favourite dressing room moment, but it would I know what it would be. It wouldn't be sport because you got this amazing story about you and Sean Dyche trashing the Stranglers dressing room, right? So even Correct. that, right, which is an amazing story. It might come out randomly, right? My stack deck question, the nine of diamonds, so we're still waiting for that pair. I don't know anything about before you were 16 or before you were 18. So went, what was your most memorable school day? Take that whatever way you want. Right. I'll take you outside school, which I was cosy at school. <laughs> but once I started to go to college, Wilston Tech, as an electrician, day release. Yeah. The new romantic thing happened. Yeah. 81, 82 Right at the beginning of okay. the 80s, yeah. Beginning of the 80s, New Romantics and all that, which the end of the punk thing, the New Romantics started. And it's, for those people who are a bit younger, the big bands that come out of probably like Visage, but then even Duran Duran, who would Spandau take the Bally, side of Spandau Ballet. All of those. Flock of Seagulls. Yes, yes. Culture Club. Culture Club, yeah. Uh, Huge. All, all of those bands They were in the 80s. Yeah, exactly Huge, that. right? Massive. Yeah. Don't get me on no plane. <laughs> right. So we're at college one day, Wilsden Tech, 
day relief, one of the boys said to me, there's a new club opened in Camden, the Camden Palace. That's yeah. where everyone goes, the new romantics go and all this. So we said, right, okay, we'll go. Bunked off the last lesson, shot down there, picked up a friend of mine. We gathered, you had to dress extravagantly. Because right. you'd have been a bit punky, or yeah, denim. That, You're in denim at this yeah, stage, so, aren't you? Yeah, sort of. Casual. Yeah. It's sort of the punk thing had finished, the new romantic had just yeah. started, you, not really into the new yeah. romantic scene, but right. we thought, yeah. got to dress up a little bit. Slid on, <laughs> um, took the white sheet off my bed, went as toga, just wrapped it round me, pair of night trainers on and a white sheet. That's really? what I was wearing. Any makeup? No, no did, okay. didn't go down that road. Not yet. Went to Camden. Camden Palace walked in. As we're walking in, the three of us, my two mates just come dressed as they were. I've got a white sheet leading the charge <laughs> up the steps at Camden Palace. There was a photographer and a reporter waiting for people to come through the door because they were doing an article, little benign to myself, on fashion on the streets of London surpasses anything from Paris and Milan. And they were looking for people to do an article on in the mail on Sunday, yeah. in the magazine. Yeah. They've collared me and asked me, what's my name? So I've thrown out Stuart Strange. Obviously, Steve Strange owned the Camden Palace at the time. It was the first name that came up in the head. So Stuart Strange was the name. They've lent me a pair of wrapped round black sunglasses to go with a white sheet and to go with the night trainers. So I'm on the dance floor, throwing a load of shapes at the time. This is, this is me as a... 19-year-old, 20-year-old kid. Uh, they're taking pictures of me. Photographers following me around the dance floor, taking pictures. Little did I know what it was for. So I've ended up doing that. Mark Armand was in there that night, I seem to remember. I can't remember anyone else. Anyway, I've come into training on the Tuesday. This was, I can't remember what day it was. But on the Tuesday, I come in at Wildstone, and one of the players said, where the F and L you been? I said, why? He said, have a look at that. No. He bought he bought the magazine in the mail on Sunday was a picture of me he said I recognise the trainers oh. so that was my first claim to fame and first time in newspapers having bunked off college was dressed in a sheet in a sheet and and it became Coco for those people who are listening and a so music machine it was in the punk days yeah. and then it went to the Camden Palace yeah and then and, Coco and then Coco now, yeah. and of course they had the fire and, yeah. and there's one of the few venues left yeah and it's sad because it's not it's not like we'll fix the roof or whatever. It's people don't get when you turn um a venue into flats that all the memories go. Mm. I walk past places now and I'm like, I saw the Pixies in there for the first time. Yeah. Like, you know, I saw Primal Scream play their best gig in there and now yeah. it's flats for wankers. And it's like and that with that fire recently, I'm sure you looked at it and you thought yeah. I was first in the paper because well, I went there with the mates yeah. with a sheet. Yeah, my early experience was Adam and the Ants, Susie, John Cooper, Clark. Oh. You know, so memories, you know. But that was the first time I ever got in a newspaper. Wow. I didn't think you'd tell me anything I didn't know about you. That's wonderful. Right, here we go. I'll shuffle because I know you'll question me. Here we go. Right, you ready? Top ready. or bottom? Uh, bottom. Let's go, go bottom. bottom. Okay, so I'll just turn it around and I'll read it. You have the King of Clubs. We still don't have that pair yet. What is your most embarrassing moment? Which literally might just be the answer to your school uh, My most embarrassing moment, I can throw two at you. One on a football field, plough lane away, Wimbledon, running to the right back position for a left back with absolutely no right foot, dangerous yeah. place to be. <laughs> Went to swing on the ball, which was literally on the touchline by this stage, to hook it up the line. 
kick the biggest divot you've ever misplaced yeah. face down into the uh, gravel track oh. next door. That was one. Another one was Ian Bowie was the captain of Nottingham Forest uh, at the time. He had a testimonial do. Myself and Des Walker were called up on stage to strap a stocking with a potato between our legs. We were dancing to all I'm going to Jamaica. Gyrating, we had to move a packet of crisps each across the dance floor, okay, from one side to the other. So the first one to do it, the only way to do that was gyrate your hips and get a pendulum motion with a stocking leg and a potato in. And what happened was... In those days, I, I didn't used to wear underpants and split my farrers. Oh, no. They, they, they went from crutch to arse. So you came? That was it. Soldiers out the of old barracks? Lot. So I've had to borrow on the night a pair of Brian Rice's wife's knickers. It was her <laughs> birthday. This is true. How can this story get more embarrassing? I, I, I had no pants and my slacks had gone. You know, so it was her birthday and she, someone had bought her a pair of knickers or a, a set of something and she lent me her knickers and I wore those for the There's rest of the evening. nothing about this story doesn't need follow-up questions. Okay. So like, you know when you think you know something, you know their story. <laughs> no, but who buys somebody's wife? The only person that can buy her underwear is him. Yeah. Who at that party thought it was, like the Des Walker go, I know it'll get her. Sausies. No, it weren't her party. She just happened to have a pair of spare knickers with right. her for some oh, reason. So like if you get run down. Do you remember your your, your my granny used to say that? Make mm-hmm. sure you wear clean underwear in case you get knocked down. Yeah. So you always had a backup pair in case you get run yeah. over. Listen, younger people listening, this is what the seventies and eighties was like. So the spur on so woman's underwear for S night. Yeah, so I had to right. slip into the <laughs> slacks were split. The farrows were quite tight in those days, yeah. you know. So there was myself and Des. Oh, I'm going to Barbados. <laughs> I was in the lead, pushing this packet of crisps across the dance floor, and then who won? all hell went loose. Well, I had to stop at that stage. See, I'm surprised you did stop I because know. it's I the, know. I'm it's disappointed, right? Me. Because honestly, this is what I I know. If you give any real sports people a competition. Mm. Even putting a potato in a sock and trying to push a packet of crisps across the stage, your first thing is, how can I win this? Yeah. Yeah, to be fair, I'm a little bit disappointed <laughs> in my own efforts that I did actually stop, cover up, and then manage to get a pair of Dyna doors from the audience to, to cover up. Never will happen again because of camera phones. There'll never be a room to have that type of no. unadulterated, sheer euphoric fun again yeah that's true it was followed by john robertson done a stand-up comedians act you know right. john the, the left winger for forest did he also play for hearts no no we're talking about the one who scored a european cup winning goal that's john robertson right, yes. it was fantastic his colombo impression sensational <laughs> he done that and chris fairclough the center half done a, a version with a load of dancing girls of New York, New York. That's yes. all part of the evening's entertainment. That's fantastic. Well, of course, at, at Leeds, to tie back into Brian Clough, after his time, at, at, well-documented time now at Leeds, of course, is 44 days. After that, Jimmy Onfield took over mm. and the morale was so low, it was so fractious. <laughs> imagine this, imagine Pep Guardiola or Klopp doing this today. He made the players star in a one-off production of Cinderella. Right? <laughs> like, that was his tactic. And it worked. Right? Norman Hunter was like, I'm not going to be in it. He, he did. Terry Yoris sang Climb Up On My Knee, Sonny Boy, to Billy Bremner. <laughs> right? <laughs> Duncan McKenzie looked great in a dress. And, yeah, 
that season, they got all the way to the European Cup final, lost to Bayern Munich. That that that's how it started. That's how football he got needs them together. More of that. Right, it does. It needs more pantomime seasons. <laughs> okay, we're on to the fourth card. It's simply just cut the deck. I've loved these so far. Come on, a seven, a nine, a queen, or a king. That's what I'm looking for. You can have whatever one you want. Come on, what is it? King. Yes, come on. There we go. Thousand pound to the Cares Trust out of Grosvenor Casino's pocket. Brilliant. We would do one. What is the last message? Oh no! And not the last you. picture you sent from your phone. I don't even think you have one. I don't do that, do I? That's amazing. For the only time on fifty-two, I'm ruling that out because I know for a fact Stuart Pierce is so much of a technophobe that his phone still has a ringer on it. You know, you have to one number at a time. <laughs> and its phone, you know, where it's got the two separate bits—the one you hold up to your ear. Yeah. <laughs> you, I'd seriously cut them again. I'm doing it. I, I'm a little bit disappointed in that, but yeah. it, it was never happening, as you well know. <laughs> Ice. Brilliant. And do you know what? The the thousand stairs, though. I'm not getting rid of the thousand. Okay. Ace of what? Ace of hearts. Who or what is your one true love? How can that card have come out so many times? It's, well, it's luck of the draw. Um, can I say two? Well, I don't know. Right. Because okay. I've got to have some sort of rules here. Okay. But... It says who or what. Yeah. Because that, that was deliberately written like that. Because I know what your what is. Yeah. The Stranglers are my one true love. Yes. Do you remember when we went to see them in Brixton Academy yeah. with Mike Tyndall? I do. And just before they came on, you said, <laughs> Mike, who are you a fan of? And he said... Not really anybody. That was the scariest moment of my life. <laughs> he, Cole, he said to us, and I, we couldn't believe it, we stood there open-mouthed, and we said, what, you've never been a fan of a band, a football team, a rugby team, anything? No, he said, nothing at no. all. I've never supported a team. I said, look, you're an international rugby player. You must have gone to Bristol or Bath or... No. Never did. It was the only time in my life, I can truly say, and we broadcast together many times, it was the only time I've, I've truly seen the psycho stare. And there was about three seconds where I wasn't sure what way it was going to go no. when that came out no. of his mouth. I didn't know whether it was going to go down the line of one, you know, two hits, one to him and the ground, or were you maybe just going to send him home, you well, know? I was going to break the nose, but someone got there before <laughs> me. So that was, that was a no-no. The uh, fact they had royal security at either end of the, the Brexit Academy stopped anything yeah. happening. It, it was a weird thing. Sorry. Right, so yeah, that the Stranglers. This... How, how can you listen to the song so many times over and never get sick of them? Because I have that with Nick Cave. It's like the first time every yeah. time, and that's the beauty of a band that you totally have love forever for. Yeah, it just pulls out memories from all over that time and I'm learning the drums now oh, no. I spoke with Baz from the band who has offered me next time they play come to the sound check and Jim will give us a drum lesson amazing at the sound check um, how can I say this without offending you you might have the least amount of musical talent yes. of anybody no I'm aware of that I've ever met I am. I tried to get you to play the, the ukulele. ukulele. You said you can pick the ukulele up. I said you can learn three notes. You, three you, notes, easily. Right, you literally just snapped it in your hand a minute. Like, you don't have any rhythm no. at all as a musician. No. So how's true. that going? Uh, slowly. 
<laughs> but I've got a dogged determination that will get me there eventually. I'm on 12 lessons at the moment, Cole. And the one thing I do know, whenever I embark on doing anything, I know it's a slow process. Yeah. And I know I won't pick it up quickly. Even football. Exactly. I'm a slow burner. I still haven't probably delivered my best years on a football pitch yet. That is still to come. <laughs> so I just want to say to all of Stuart's friends, family, loved ones, football colleagues, he chose the Stranglers over all of you. They have announced that they're doing their last final <gasps> full tour. No. This November, I think. Um, finishing at Brixton, two nights at Brixton. That's huge for you. It's devastating, how, to be quite honest. With how many of this last tour will you go to? Do you uh, think? The vast majority. Yeah, yeah. Because you've only seen three hundred and what are we up to? It's like England. You don't count a bit, yeah. It's like it not anymore. It's like <laughs> England caps. You 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 only worry about when the next one's coming, not not the last one. Slight stranglers gigs are the same. <laughs> okay, here we go then. Uh, that's your five cards with one ruled out, which is unprecedented, but I'm sticking to it. And even though there's no pair there, we will give the £1,000 to the Cares Trust because the first one that came out was a king. It's not our fault that you don't even own an old Nokia. There was nothing we could do about that. What a trip that was. One more question to come, and it's my wild card. Stuart, I'm privileged enough to know a few things about you, maybe a few more things than I, than I should. And I know that you don't like the psycho tag, never really have. I can see why. I'm sure you enjoyed it when you were playing for Nottingham Forest. And in fact, you used to say you didn't need to know when the kickoff was because a couple of minutes to three, the entire end would go up with a chant of psycho and you knew time to perform. It was theatre. Right, it was theatre. But I, I think once you've retired and once you get into management, you've been a bit like, I don't know if you've called me psycho all the blooming time. So, here's a perverse question. While you don't think that fits you, and I agree with that, what is the one moment, though, in your career that does fit the psycho tag? Um, I would say probably two instances at West Ham. Yeah. Uh, Hammer of the year. One, I broke my shin bone, heard a crack, thought it was a shin pad, but it was actually my shin bone that had broke. <laughs> Went into the dressing room, it was right on half time, so the manager said, I won't make a substitution, there's only a minute to go. Walked into the dressing room, Harry Redknapp said, how are you? I said, let me ice it for 10 minutes, I should be all right. Iced it for 10 minutes, jogged up and down the corridor to try and get it going again. I'm not going to like this. And to be fair, I knew it wasn't getting going again. It was the first time ever they had a, uh, an x-ray machine at Upton Park, went for an x-ray, I'd broken my shin bone. You ran up and down the corridor with a broken shin bone? Yeah, but okay. I, I must quantify the fact that I didn't know my leg was broken at the time. <laughs> I just thought it was bloody sore. Um, okay, that, that suits it. Another time, we played Chelsea on a Wednesday night. Harry was going to rest me because we had, on Saturday, we had quarter-final against Tottenham at Upton Park, FA Cup match. Big, big game in our season. So I said to him, look, I want to play. Let me play. I like rhythm of playing. Played against Chelsea. Had to come off. My ankle swelled up like a balloon. Harry had ripped me off on Saturday. Mm -hmm. I passed him Friday morning on the training ground. And he said, where are you going? I said, I'm going to try it. He looked at me as I was an absolute buffoon. <laughs> on the Saturday, the doctor said to me, and I didn't used to like having strappings on my ankle. So the doctor turned around to me and said, the only way you're ever going to get through this game 
is if we glue the strap into your ankle and re-glue it again at half time because otherwise there's no way that the swelling of it size of your ankle you're ever going to play so I said alright do what you have to to get me through the game went out for the first half and credit to the doctors how brilliant they literally put glue on my ankle strapped a strap into it was so tight it was frightening but over the course of 45 minutes it loosened slightly I said to him look do you have to re- redo it is tight he said you'll never get through to the second half unless you don't he said i'll have to take this off the doctor oh. got some scissors and was trying to get inside the strapping but he wasn't he was trying to get inside my skin no it was that tight the strapping and the glue had held it so tight where he was trying to put the scissors inside the strapping between my skin he was actually trying to get the scissors inside my skin I genuinely feel sick so did you Obviously, then say that's my skin. Don't do it. I'll miss the second half. Strangely enough, yes. But as luck <laughs> happens, as luck happens, he managed to to free the strapping, re-glue it again. We oh. got through the half, and we got knocked out of the FA Cup. And you didn't even win the game. No, but right. four two. What was the score at half time? Uh, I scored in the first half. Magic free with... kick. Right. Curly whirly free kick. Wow. As you would expect. And what was the half time score? I think it was two two. Right, okay, so a reason to go back out, because if you had been 4 0 down, I literally would have deleted your phone number it, for that story. No, if right. I had gone out, if it was 4 0 down, I'd never have come off. Yeah. And this is all at the Hammers, right? Uh, the Hammers. Right. Those this two. is what hits me about that story, right? You're not young and hungry anymore. No. You've been to Coventry, and then you've went to Nottingham Forest, where you gained all but what, two of your England Cups? Correct. This is after desolation and redemption and all those big cliched stories that you've told a million times that, you know, are, are really important, but you mm. thankfully haven't had to tell here. I'm sure you're happy. Yeah. Um, this is at the end of your top level career. How did you still have that fire to play a random 45 minutes? Like it was a European cup final. I think, and I'll probably use Tony McCoy as a great example for this, someone who I admire greatly. The older he got, the more determined he got, that that dressing room was never going to look at him and say, he's finished, you know? And it's probably a similar type of thing, probably with myself. There's certain sports people that get into their 30s and think it's finished. And probably certain individuals that have had slow-burning starts to their career, like me, that think... I'll prove you wrong and I physically can't take a backward step even at 37, 38 years old. And now we know why Roy Keane describes Stuart Pearce as a man amongst boys. When he describes you as that, you definitely know you're tough. What a great story. I get passion out of it. I don't get psycho out of it. So there you go. Maybe we have to rethink that. Stuart Pearce, what a delight. Thank you so much for taking part in 52. My pleasure, Carl. No more bets. This podcast has been a Cop C production and Grosvenor Casinos is for over 18s only. Photographic ID may be required and please gamble responsibly.